Prelude. In Max Quick, Book One, The Pocket and the Pendant, we meet young Max Quick, an orphan with no idea of his parentage. After a bizarre encounter with a dark, pockmarked man and an old woman named Petunia, who says Max, quote, saved her in 1912, Max suddenly finds himself alone in a world where time has stopped, that is, for everyone except for himself. But he quickly discovers shy and withdrawn Casey Cole, a young girl who, like himself, is unaffected. Together, they discover the rules of this time pocket. Movements are amplified, giving them a kind of super speed and strength, but without invulnerability. Everyday objects can be coaxed into their time frame, yet people cannot. Seeing that their hometown of Starlin, California, is utterly lost to this strangeness, the pair heads east. It isn't long before they encounter a town with eerie signs of others free in stop time. A man painted green from head to toe. Other people frozen in time with wigs on, etc. Without warning, Max and Casey are then chased by a gang of kids in motocross gear. They struggle to master the terrific speeds at which they can now run, but their pursuers zip up and down the sides of buildings with ease. Max and Casey turn a corner into a large flock of birds, time frozen in the act of taking off. They desperately struggle up and over the flock, only to enter a thick patch of time-sluggish fog, which leaves a tunnel in their wake. They attempt to circle back, but are caught. The duo is then brought before a bonfire court, headed by Ace, the leader of the Serpents and Mermaids gang, and his girlfriend, Sasha Foix. There, they learn that a whole year has passed for these 200-odd kids. When Max suggests they ought to be searching for the cause of the pocket rather than partying, Ace has them thrown in the town jail. Later that night, Ian Keating, a brainy British kid, sneaks a visit. Ian shows them a video of strange craft in the sky. These craft, always coming from the east, are causing the pocket, he theorizes. This also explains why time is slower the further east one goes. It is emanating from that direction. Fed up with Ace's reckless bonfires, Ian desperately wants to leave with Max and Casey. He proposes doing so with an ancient quantum book he has discovered in his exploration of the surrounding towns. Not only does this book depict the skycrafts accurately, calling them sky chambers, but it allows transport to other books like it spread out all over the world. The book, the sky chambers, and the pocket are somehow all linked. Trusting now in Ian, the three enter the book and find themselves in a vast study. They quickly discover that this study features several books. In one, there is a well. Casey recklessly tosses a penny into it through the page itself. Then, Ian inadvertently traps himself inside another one of the books. Max and Casey see in the pages that he will be devoured by wolves. It is Casey who finally breaks through her inner shell to discover how to save him. But through this process they learn a terrible truth. The tyranny of the page is absolute. Anything shown in the pages must indeed eventually come to pass. Thus, even though Ian escaped for now, it seems he is eventually destined to return to meet his fate. Traveling now through another book, the trio arrives in Texas. There, they find a deserted farmhouse containing pictures of Max stretching back to the 1930s. Max remembers the house dimly, and for the first time gets an inkling that he is far older than he thought, and that his true memory has been hidden from him. Likewise, Max finds a diary chronicling his quest in the 1960s for a certain Mr. E, 
who can reveal his secrets to him. The trio hides and witnesses a man emerge. It is the same pockmarked man Max saw previously at the Starland Museum of Antiquities. The man and his cohorts search the house, but finding nothing, they depart once again in their craft, leaving Max shaken and wondering who he really is. The trio makes their way to New York City, round zero of the pocket. There, they learn that time has indeed been stopped by denizens of the sky chambers littering Central Park. Human-looking aliens from a hidden planet called Nibiru, located at the far reaches of our own solar system. Led by a madwoman named Jadith, they have stopped time to search for something called the Pendant, a periapt hidden on Earth and antiquity. Furthermore, the serpents and mermaids have now all been captured. In their panic, the trio is likewise spotted and apprehended. The pockmarked man, now revealed as Jonathan Roseblood Seranus, tries to probe Max's mind with a powerful jewel, seeking the location of the pendant. But Max's amnesia protects him, and Seranus is thus foiled. Yet, they learn that Seranus is playing Jadith, trying to acquire the pendant for himself and ransom it for immortality. Seranus locks them up inside of a sky chamber. There, the trio is confronted by Ace and Sasha, who have apparently escaped. Ace knocks Ian around for his, quote, treachery, and shows him the book, which he has stolen back from Seranus. Ian frantically warns Ace not to use the book to escape, but Ace tells Ian he must give him his clothes. Donning them, Ace enters the book and thus fulfills the destiny of someone being eaten by the wolves. Sasha luckily refuses to come with him, finally seeing Ace for who he really is. Sasha then reveals that she has overheard Seranus describe the secret of finding Mr. E via the last page in a book. Armed with this new knowledge, the foursome enter the book and meet the wily and eccentric Mr. E at the Eldritch Isle of the Dreamtime. Therein, Mr. E reveals to Max that he is not human. He is in fact Nuberian, and he is thus thousands of years old. Furthermore, Max's amnesia functions to hide a great secret. Every time his mind is open, Max himself demands his amnesia be reimposed. Even Mr. E does not know what the secret is. The other children are likewise special, sharing genetic heritage with the Niberian race, which is remembered by humans as the gods of antiquity. This is why they are unaffected by the pocket. Mr. E reveals that he himself is merely a hologram, left behind by the, quote, real Enki, and thus cannot leave the Isle or the realm of books. He further explains that Jadith is on Earth presently to recover the Pendant, a device created by Anki to nullify free will. She hopes to use this device to enslave humanity and conquer Nibiru. Long ago, Anki was forced to create this device. At the time, it appeared to be the only way out of a jam. But Anki now sees this as a great error and wishes that he had never created it. Denying the free will of others is the ultimate evil, a point Mr. E drives home. To the consternation of Jadith, Enki has hidden the pendant quote perfectly. Mr. E now reveals to Max that he must recover it before Jadith, as he was quote meant to. The location of the pendant, beneath a lock in Scotland, is revealed to Ian, and bracelets are given to the foursome to enter a pocket within the pocket. Then, strange enemies of Mr. E he names the Archons attack the Isle as a giant murder of crows. The foursome quickly departs while Mr. E endures a siege, and his fate is unknown. They emerge from a book, and thanks to their bracelets, relative to them, the Nuberians are now the ones trapped in stop time. After an incident where Sasha loses her bracelet, 
the foursome steals a sky chamber and heads for the depths of the lock. Entering via an ancient underwater pyramid, the foursome finds a sort of book engraved on the wall, showing Max recovering the pendant and handing it to Jadith. Casey is struck with despair, Max with disbelief. After all, they know the tyranny of the page is absolute. The foursome continues deeper into the pyramid and find arches leading to different times and places. Then, the real Enki appears in one of these arches from thousands of years ago and hands the pendant directly to Max across time, and thus the riddle of how he has hidden it perfectly is revealed. In the intervening years, the pendant simply does not exist anywhere. It skips over 7,000 years of history in a single second. But as soon as Max gains the pendant, Jonathan Roseblood Seranus shows up, wearing Sasha's lost bracelet. He holds a knife to Casey's throat and demands Max deliver the pendant. At that moment, another Max and the old woman, Petunia, now as a young girl from 1912, appear and deliver a past Seranus drugged with absinthe through another arch. Ian quickly puts a dagger at past Seranus's throat, but Seranus reveals that he is actually Casey's father, and thus killing his past self, even if it were possible, would simply kill Casey as well. At that moment, Jadith and her centurions appear. She has followed Seranus. Centurions now fill the pyramid surrounding everyone. Jadith takes Casey from Seranus and appeals to her in a way that speaks to her deepest self. Casey loses hope and sides with Jadith. Seranus, seeing this, and his old self, is at last ashamed of his obsession with immortality and how his daughter is now becoming like him. He defies Jadith and is killed. Casey, upon seeing the sacrifice, snaps out of her despair and rejoins the foursome. Holding the pendant, Max is now faced with the choice of wielding it himself or handing it over. Remembering what Mr. E said about evil, even if it appears to be the only way out of a jam, Max decides it is actually better to hand it over. Everyone gasps. Jadith accepts the pendant and madly begins her takeover. People around the world obey summons to enter sky chambers. Her victory is now complete. Now that the children are unimportant to her, she has them thrown in a cell. Hopeless and defeated, they sag, though Max knows he did the right thing. And at that moment, Mr. E appears in the cell, curiously jubilant. The foursome are perplexed, and then Ian suddenly realizes that Mr. E cannot leave the realm of books, and figures it out. They have been in a book this entire time. They entered it unknowingly at the pyramid itself, and lured Seranus and Jadith in behind them. Mr. E then reveals that the pendant is actually a trap designed by Enki, a safeguard against anyone who has already lost their free will to an obsession. Anyone who lusts for the pendant is thus sucked into the trap. Mr. E needed Max's help to lure Jadith the rest of the way in, and besides, Max was fated to receive the pendant as Enki had known since antiquity, since from his point of view, Enki had handed the pendant forward through time through the arch long ago. A kind of cleanup of the earth then ensues. Mr. E summons allies from Nibiru to assist and set the whole mess aright. Max, Casey, Ian, and Sasha are then returned to their normal lives, a bit more grown up and confident now. At last, time is restarted and the world returns to normal, none the wiser. Max learns, via a real-world assistant of Mr. E's, Domitian Crux, of a fortune he has amassed over hundreds of years, and this is now made available to him. But Max still doesn't know his secret, 
or what has become of the real Enki, or the true nature of the mysterious Archons who attacked Mr. E at the Isle of the Dreamtime. The story is now continued in Max Quick, Book 2, The Two Travelers.